Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today is my colleague on the personal finance team, Kate Bearley. We're also delighted to have two special guests on the show. Lauren Peters is Pensions Advisor at Tideway Wealth and will be helping me make sense of the Pensions Lifetime Allowance. We'd also like to welcome Adrian Lowcock, Head of Investing at AXA Wealth, and he's going to help us um, think about investing in Russia and Brazil later. First, to pensions. It's now a month since the new pension freedoms came into play, and investors are still trying to understand them and what they mean for generating retirement income. But one aspect of the new pension freedoms that many investors are finding worrying is the reduction of the pension's lifetime allowance that's going to come in next tax year. Actually, since 2010, there have been several reductions in the pension lifetime allowance. Yes, And these have brought it down from 1.8 million to 1 million, which is coming in next year. So, Lauren, in, in this week's Portfolio Clinic, we had the example of an investor who's 59... And he had a, a SIP, a self-invested personal pension, which was worth half a million pounds. But he also had um, a defined benefit pension. Um, so that, that some people will know that's as a final salary pension that was going, that's predicted to give him an income of £20,000 when he turns 65. He thinks he's going to breach this allowance. And I think a lot of, of investors will, will also be worrying about that. I mean, is, is this the case? I mean, is, is it becoming more common that people are going to... Well, I think certainly since the lifetime allowance has reduced gradually from 1.8 down to, as you say, 1.25 million this year and then to 1 million next year, I think more and more people will find this an issue. Um, with regards to the case study you're mentioning, um I think what you need to be clear about is how you value those benefits for the lifetime allowance check. So, for example, if you have money in a, in a personal pension, you would value that as simply the fund value. Whereas if you have money in a final salary pension, you would typically value that as 20 times the income payable. Um, there are some exceptions, for example, with public sector schemes, because some of those will have a separate standalone uh, tax-free cash lump sum. So you'd have to be aware of that as well. Um, but certainly, yes, more and more people will find this an issue. And really, it, it's not related to the amount that you've put in over the years you've no. been investing in pensions. It's the actual amount or value of your pension now that's taken into account. Yes, that's, that's right. So it's the, it's the value of your total pension savings that you have accumulated in a tax-efficient pension wrapper, so an HMRC registered, registered scheme. Um. I mean, this chap, um, he has a final salary pension, which a lot of people coming up to retirement may have, although yes. it might be small. They might they might not think of that as, as coming into the mix. I mean, they might think of it in terms of the income that it's paying out rather than the actual value it costs to buy those benefits, which is a lot of money. <laughs> That's right. They are very good pensions, of course. Um, but you do need to be aware that it's not simply the income payable. It, as I said before, is... Uh, valued on a 20 times multiple. So if you had, for example, £20,000 a year payable to you, that would be valued at £400,000. 
So with within the lifetime allowance uh, restrictions, you need to be aware that you've used up 40% there of your 1 million lifetime allowance from next year. So what, what can you do if you think you're going over the limit or think you might do in a, you know next year or the year after? I think there are a few things you can do. Firstly, be aware of how much your pension pot is worth. So you may have multiple schemes. I mean, certainly our clients, we see they've got pots here, there, everywhere. Some people have got four or five to six schemes. So you need to you know, get your pension statements together. Um, for personal pensions, it's pretty simple. As I said, it's just literally the fund value. So add those together. And then if you have any final salary pots, be aware of the 20 times. Once you know how much your pension savings are worth, then you need to check against the lifetime allowance. So £1.25 million this year, next year £1 million. If you think you are approaching and possibly going to go over the lifetime allowance in the next few years, um, be aware that if you are already 55, for some people it might well be worth crystallising those benefits now and taking your tax-free cash now. Now, that won't be the case for everybody, but it's certainly worth thinking about. So when you crystallise it, that is the point at which... Um, the amount is taken into account by the revenue for That's the purpose right. of the lifetime allowance. That's yes, right. That... So once you, for example, take your tax-free cash out, there'll be a lifetime al- allowance check done at that point. And um, once that is done, you will know exactly how much of your lifetime allowance has been crystallised or used up. Mm-hmm. And once you go through that check, you don't have to do it again for those benefits. Now, clearly, if you're doing one scheme at, at a time, you need to be aware that you may well crystallise, say, 20% one year, 30% the next year. So that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, And can the the money that's left in the pot then continue to grow? Is that right? That's it. So I think some people get a bit confused about this issue and think that even though they have, quote-unquote, crystallised those benefits and taken their tax-free cash, that the remaining fund will still be subject to a lifetime allowance cheque. Once you take your all of your pension savings through that lifetime allowance check by taking tax-free cash and crystallising those benefits, um, you will not have to go through that check again oh, right. for those benefits, yeah. <laughs> I should add. Now, in, in previous years when they've reduced the lifetime allowance down, the revenue's introduced something called fixed and individual protection. Yes, which the, sound the glorious very, protections. Yes. Are we expecting that to happen again for the million pound limit on pensions? Well, there have been a number of protections introduced over the years. Um, The government has confirmed that they're not going to retrospectively apply this lifetime allowance reduction. So we are expecting that there will be a fixed protection and individual protection 2016 introduced probably around about October this year. What what would will these do for you if you take them out? If they work in the same way as the current or previous fixed protections, um, then probably what will happen is um, you'll be able to apply for fixed protection to protect your savings up to 1.25 million. And it's likely you'll have to do that by April. As, as I said before, these have not been confirmed yet, but we expect them to come in. Um, individual protection will look at your lifetime allowance between 1 million and 1.25 and, and likely protect that value for you. Okay, and then will will these protections allow your funds to to grow? 
once you've taken them, you know, once you've got the protection in place. Is that the idea? They they will. However, with individual protection, once you go over that threshold, you will start paying tax on, on the excess. It's just that, for example, if you have pension savings between 1 million and 1.25 million, then you'll have a sort of personalised protection limit. Mm-hmm. Um, if the fixed protection is quite similar to the previous fixed protections, you will not be able to continue contributing to your pension schemes. So you need to be aware that if that's the best route for you, you will not be able to keep paying in and your employer won't either. Mm. The one thing we haven't really mentioned is what what the penalty is if you don't do anything and if you go over the the limits, what's the deal there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, tax, essentially. There's a lifetime allowance excess charge. Uh, If you decide to put your pension excess funds into your pension, keep them in your pension, um, that will be a 25% tax charge if you decide to take the excess above the lifetime allowance as a as a lump sum you'll be taxed at 55 percent ouch that's that's yes. quite a penalty quite punitive. and that's why everyone's worried about it um how is it done in practice though how do they actually take that tax from your pension it's normally done by the pension provider so if you have a final salary scheme that will be done by the final salary scheme provider and likewise, if you've gone into drawdown, for example, with a self-invested personal pension, then that would be done by the, the pension administrator there as well. OK. Now, um, we've been talking about people who are actually coming up to retirement yes. and have large sums of money. What about those in their 30s and 40s who are putting large sums away? Do you think they should? the lifetime limit is something they should it's think a good question. about? It's or? a good question. There are plans to increase the lifetime allowance from 2018 and index it against the Consumer Prices Index. So there will be some incremental increases from 2018. However, if you're in your 30s, I, I think probably the thing that is true about pensions more than anything else is that governments will keep changing the rules around them so it's probably not worth worrying too much if you're 20 30 years away at the moment and a great problem to have actually I mean I don't know many people in their 30s who have that level of savings good luck to them if they do (laughs) I mean obviously they're going to be benefiting from the income tax relief on their savings anyway and then the compounding of the investments over years so maybe it'll all even out in the long run that's right. Yeah. And who knows what will happen in the future with the lifetime allowance. <laughs> Hopefully it will get scrapped at some point. Um, I think with the the advent of the annual allowance at 40000 a year, I can't see why it's necessary in the long run to have the lifetime allowance as well. Yeah, I mean, of course, it penalises people for doing really well with their investments, making good investment decisions. And, you know, if you were compounding up 14, 15% a year rather than four or five percent a year um you you might might end up hitting the the allowance anyway with with more moderate savings that's a good point absolutely you could well do (laughs) um obviously we've we've had a general election and we've we've now got a new pensions minister in place ros altman who has a lot of experience in this field um, what would you like to see her doing, Lauren? Have you got any? <laughs> I think, as I mentioned um, earlier, I think getting rid of the lifetime allowance at some point will probably be a good thing to do. It's, people aren't going to get there otherwise, I think, with the annual allowance being so low. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, do, 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 are you are you happy with the pension freedoms that have that have come in? I think I think certainly. I think they're a good thing. I think it's about time that people were able to make their own decisions with their own money. Not everybody will make the best decisions. That's yet to be seen. I'm sure that will um, um, we'll we'll see more of that in the future. But um, certainly more and more people will need to have some education and some guidance around what to do with that pension pot. It's one thing, for example, having that freedom. It's quite another knowing what to do with that money thereafter, how to invest it. Great. That's that's a very useful insight. Thank you, Lauren. In this week's magazine, personal finance writer Kate Bealey has been looking in detail at investing in Russia and Brazil. After a year of plummeting with stock markets, these emerging markets countries are now on the up again. So should you be investing? Kate, what have you found out regarding Russia and Brazil? Well, um, these two are interesting countries because they're obviously two of the BRIC economies and China and India have, have been very popular with investors for quite a while now and they're both very compelling kind of investment stories. But Russia and Brazil, less so um, for several reasons. And even the, the economist Jim O'Neill, who coined the term BRIC at the beginning of this year, was saying that maybe BRIC is turning into ick because of the kind of dismal, dismal returns from Russia and Brazil. I mean, Russia has been has been a particularly interesting one because of the geopolitical situation in Ukraine um, and the, the impact of the oil price crash, which really took its toll on, on the Russian economy. And over in Brazil, we've had corruption scandals in Petrobras and a very slow growth. But this year, things have kind of turned around a bit, and particularly in Russia, where the market has soared since the beginning of the year. After falling 42% last year, the index is now up 44%. So that's a big turnaround. Um, and the currency is, is also up. Some analysts say that the the sanctions, the kind of geopolitical situation and, and the oil crisis meant that everyone kind of turned away from Russia too quickly or there was there was kind of a piling out of that market and, and it had to swing back at some point. Um, and people always say the best time to buy is at the worst point in the market, which was maybe the end of last year. But um, there could be a case here for, for kind of getting into Russia and holding for the very long term. And similarly with Brazil, I think some of the President Dilma Rousseff's recent introductions, further corporate taxes and plans to, to attack the deficit could have a real impact on the economy, but over the long term. So I think people expect the Brazilian market to go down or maybe head into recession briefly this year, but then maybe turn around. So this could be a case for definitely getting in at the bottom and seeing a very long term recovery. So both kind of interesting areas now to consider. Adrian, um, what are your thoughts on, on whether now's a good time to get into these two particular emerging markets giants? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Russia was a, quite an interesting one last year. I mean, everything that could go wrong pretty much did go wrong for the country. So you had uh, the um, uh, instability in Ukraine, uh, the sanctions from the West, and then they got hit by the halving of the oil price at the end of last year. And throughout 2014, year. Uh, the, the valuations in Russia were incredibly low. They've sort of fell to very low levels in March and then continued to fall much further by the end of the year. So we've seen an initial rebound in, in, in Russia. Uh, it's still going to be dominated by the direction for the, of the oil price. So the oil still matters an, an awful lot there. But uh, So the rebound in the oil price has been good and, and that makes it a bit safer there. 
uh, improving the economy. That's slowly improving. The currency is stabilized. That's very important. And the Russian Central Bank has been good job at sort of managing interest rates there, and they've been bringing those down slowly. However, political risk is is a big factor and remains in Russia. So it's still going to be very risky. Um, but on, on the flip side, it's got some good sort of currency, uh, got some interest rates on yields on, on stocks and stuff. So you get good yielding stocks there still and very cheap. So looks quite interesting at the moment. And I think uh, definitely there's still an opportunity to buy at a low point. Brazil, that's probably a potential comeback, kid. It's, uh, uh, its path is sort of more governed by commodities than just oil. So it's a broader sort of factor on it. Um, but the market has generally been discounting this sort of nev- negative political view. Uh, and I think that's very much heavily in the price at the moment. The interesting thing is that, um, you know, any surprise on the upside politically could just drive a rally in this this market. Um, there's a lot of flexibility because interest rates are currently at 13%, so there's plenty of room to sort of cut rates if they need to, and that gives them a lot of capacity to to sort of ease the uh, uh, the country. And and and, and um, if the politicians can sort of address the structural inflation that exists in that country, we could see a, a big rally in the future. It's probably a little bit further away than, than Russia is in turning that corner at the moment, but, uh, you know, the best time to get in is at the bottom of these things. Yeah, but the question question investors will be thinking about is how do I get in and what kind of investments do I choose? I mean, you could get go go and get passive exposure, couldn't you? You could buy the ETF that tracks Russia or Brazil or you could go and choose an active fund that specialises in those countries or you could go for something broader, so say an emerging Europe fund or a, or a, you know, a a Latin America fund to get exposure to Brazil, couldn't you? What would be yeah, absol- your, your choice, Adrian, there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for the majority of people, um, buying a country-specific fund into Russia or, or, or Brazil is, is, is very, very, very niche and very specific. These countries are still emerging markets. There's still risks and significant risks attached to them, even though valuations are attractive. So I generally prefer a, a sort of broader um, uh, uh, approach to this. So something like the JPM Emerging Income uh, uh, Emerging Markets Income Fund. It has about ten percent in Brazil and about six six and a bit percent in Russia, um, and it's managed by Richard Titherington. And because it's an income fund, you've got that sort of sensible income mandate, which basically looks for companies that are uh, cash generative, uh, able to pay out a dividend and repeatedly pay out a dividend. So there's a, a natural cautiousness to that fund. Uh, it's returned about twelve percent over the last three years, um, and you know that that reflects that emerging markets haven't necessarily been the greatest place to be in the last three years. But it's uh, a good way of getting a diversified approach. So you get sort of about fifteen six. 16% in those two, uh, collectively in those two countries. And that that's the fund version of the JP Morgan Emerging Markets Income. There is also an investment trust for, for our, our diehard investment trust fans yeah. that's run along the similar mandate, isn't there, by the same manager? Yes, absolutely. And, and the key with investment trusts is, is, is really just sort of making sure you buy at the right level of discounts. And, and often uh, a lot of investment trusts will trade at a premium or a discount to net asset value. So make sure you look at uh, what you're paying. So you want to try and avoid paying too much of a significant premium and, and look at sort of what the history of that that is for the trust because some will have a you know, typical sort of medium where, where they trade at. So always make sure you buy at a decent discount on investment trusts if possible. But if, if you were to go for the less cautious approach and go for a direct um, investment into Russia or Brazil, what, what, um, 
what advice would you have for people there? I mean, what, what portion of your portfolio should you limit that to, for example? I would sort of typically say if you're going for emerging markets as a whole, you're probably not looking much more than around 10% of your portfolio as a whole. So if you have a bit of exposure sort of in emerging markets already, you're probably only looking at between 1% and 2% in in perhaps if you want to go for both of these, perhaps a 1% in each would be the most I'd consider putting it. Um, and, you know, I think probably have to consider that a lot of people have been looking at China and India as well uh, in recent years then you know you've got to factor in how much exposure you've got in those countries as well so i think one or two percent tops in 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 any individual country specific fund would be about right okay um i mean really we're looking at um in emerging markets are very volatile aren't they so if you're in, if you're investing for for income and you know you're not going to have a smooth ride with necessarily with that portion of your portfolio so you've got to be very careful um but you know they, they are meant to deliver good growth over the long term aren't they because yeah various reasons yeah i mean the income the income element aspect here is that you'll get um capital volatility so the the value of your investment will go up and down but the income is is it should be um a lot more stable particularly if you're investing in emerging markets income funds it's not 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 country specific um uh, and 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 the potential is for that income to be grow uh, because emerging markets are still growing more rapidly than the, the developed markets in the West. Um, so you get uh, corporate earnings coming through and dividend growth, and and that sort of strategy, whether or not you're actually seeking income or not, is a really good way of compounding your investment over time. So if you reinvest the income, you uh, you, you reinvest it when the markets are weak. That's a good sort of positive thing that you can buy cheap, and that helps deliver performance. Alternatively, if you're just looking for income, you get that dividend growth, which should help boost yields and give you a better sort of boost to your overall income. And if you're looking for income, diversifying your income streams is actually very important. Um, Kate, you you were looking at um, other investment options among for Russia and Brazil, and 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 came up with some other diversified options. What what was what was top there? Well, I think um, the the advice I kind of got was that in the case of Brazil, particularly Latin American funds, might be might be a good way of of doing this because again you, you're slightly more diversified. But if you do really want to go for quite targeted investments, you're still going to get something like fifty percent um, or maybe even more invested in Brazil with with a Latin American fund. And then with Russia, um, you could always go for something like Bearing Emerging Europe, which um, does target those kind of emerging areas but but in a more specific region so you still have an enormous waiting to russia but it's not a direct fund um i think actually another thing that is important says that currency in both of these places is very um important and will really affect your returns and it's quite unpredictable isn't it to to know what will happen to to the ruble and the real i mean what do you think about that yeah, absolutely. I mean, currency is a very significant thing. Um, a lot of this is going to be linked to the US dollar. And, and whilst the US dollar has recently sort of sold off a little bit, uh, we still think there's some upside for that that dollar rally to continue. However, that, that upside is probably still only capped at around 10% or so. And I think once that happens, the market, markets will probably get more confident that there isn't further de- devaluation, particularly in the Bra- uh, Brazilian real, and, and therefore they can sort of move forward from that. So I think that's a, a short-term issue, but I think the uh, the market will sort of see through that once the US dollar rally sort of maxes out. But it's probably only a 10% upside from here. Okay, well, there's a lot... Lots of very useful um, ideas there for people thinking to broaden their portfolios out. Thanks to my special guest, Lauren Peters of Tideway Wealth, and to Adrian Lowcock of AXA Wealth, and also to my colleague, 
Kate Bearley of the Investors Chronicle. You can read more about the pensions lifetime allowance and investing in Russia and Brazil in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.